Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we're excited to welcome Texas-based artist Chris Colston. Now, Chris has been working his way up in the Texas Red Dirt music scene, and he's excited to follow in the footsteps of artists like Parker McCollum in gaining more national exposure. Now, Chris's journey began on the drums at the age of seven. A couple of years later, he picked up the guitar and realized he could sing. It was a performance on the Texas Opry Circuit stage that really cemented his path towards a career in music. And ever since then, he has been building momentum year after year. It was his single Gone in 2018 that really kickstarted things. And he's now excited for the release of his new album, Boy Like Me, in July. So please enjoy our conversation with Chris Colston. It sort of started when you were seven, but I wanted to talk about before that because it was your stepdad who first got you into drumming at seven. But I wanted to ask about his background because I think I heard you talk about he was maybe sort of a semi-professional drummer before coming into your life. So talk about that and just sort of what music meant around the house for you growing up. Yeah, man. Uh, so my stepdad, Tony, he... Uh when he was in high school, he was in drumline at the high school and everything. And, and from stories that I hear now from people that either went to school with him or knew him just right out of high school and college said he was a really, really good drummer. And he was drumming for a lot of well-known bands in the East Texas area and playing around. He was just known, you know, like if he would have continued, I think in my mind would have been a professional drummer, but you know, times were kind of tough back then he was supporting his household it was just him and his mom and uh his dad wasn't really around when he was in high school so he had to take care of the bills and uh grandma sarah she worked uh, as a lunch lady at the cafeteria at the high school so there was a whole lot of income coming in so right i think i think that was when i think that's when tony you know he kind of had to put the drums away and he went to the oil field and just supporting the bills and it didn't come until late way later on in his life until I started, you know, playing drums. And then when, even when I started a band, he played drums for me the first two years I started playing gig. So that was a cool experience. Right. And have you co-written with him before? Has he been a co-writer with you along this journey? Yeah. Yeah. We wrote actually put out, I don't even know if you can find it anymore. I'm not even sure, but we wrote a song. He had an idea called blacktop gospel. And I remember, you know, looking back now, it's like, Oh my God, why did I put that song? But then it was like, man, this is great. Like, it kind of put us on a little bit of a whatever tiny map, I guess you would say. And that's kind of how we got started. He is, he always has a notepad. He writes down ideas if he was at work or, and uh, I would try, we'd try to collab every now and then and, and write some songs. And so, yeah, we did, we wrote one for sure that I put out maybe two. I can't, it's been a long time. He's talented in a lot of ways for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. And so before you started playing the drums at seven, what did music mean? Was it something that was around the house quite a bit? You know, at that young of an age, I wouldn't say it was always present, but like it was little things like my stepdad would go to the grocery store and he'd have classic rock playing in the truck or my dad, uh, I'd go see my dad and we would go to fish fries and stuff and, and, and pasture parties. And my dad, would pull out a guitar or somebody would have a guitar there and they always wanted my dad to play blues man uh a hank williams jr song guys oh, okay. that was the one oh 
Gary's got to sing that song. So me, you know, sitting on the cooler, my feet can't even touch the ground. You know, like I was like, whoa, I got older. Uh, my mom kind of started taking fiddle lessons. There was always music. My older brother, Caleb, had a guitar. He was in the Air Force. So when he'd come home, he'd play and show me some stuff. Just, I guess you could say it was kind of everywhere, just at sporadic different times growing up. Right. Yeah. And now you mentioned your brother, Caleb. I wanted to ask about him because you mentioned he was in the army. He beat cancer, I believe. Yeah. And so talk about his strength and who he is as a person and how he has influenced you on this journey. Caleb was actually, so he was in in the Air Force, which I always thought that was really cool. And honestly thought that I might be a military kid, but you know, it just, it wasn't cut out for me, but actually it was kind of around the same time my brother and my both had cancer. So, but Caleb, his was a T cell lymphoma. Um, he had a tumor that was not, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember all this correctly, but it, it's not, it was placed not far from his heart. And it was one that they couldn't go in and remove being so close to the heart. So he did a chemotherapy, um, super chemo. He did, um, gosh, I think he did his, from what I'm not, own stem cell transplant. Like they took his stem cells out. He did super chemo. They froze them and then they unfroze them, put them back in and they regroup, which is, I don't know. It sounds crazy and way above my pay grade, but man, it was amazing. He, he was an absolute miracle. Like there's no way that he should have lived through that. And he shouldn't have gone through that at the age. He's not, but 36 or 37 now. So, um, yeah, man, he's been in, I want to say three to four years in remission now and no active cancer cells on that tumor. It's still there. So he goes for checkups and stuff to make sure everything's good. And there's always the risk of it coming back, but thankfully nothing yet, but it was amazing experience. He, He went through that. My mom had to go through it with him. The whole family did. And, then right after that, my stepdad got some sort of cancer in his neck. He had it removed and he did um, uh, radiation on his neck for a long time. And he's in remission now. So, you know, it's pretty scary that it's that common in the family, but it's something that I'm always going to have to watch. But definitely a blessing to still have both of them here. So. Yeah, exactly. And with them going through that, I mean, does that give you a new perspective on life and of this journey and knowing that this is an important journey for you and chasing your dreams because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, man. Like, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm 26. So I still consider myself young, but going through stuff that and seeing people you love go through that, it makes you really focus on, okay, what's important here. Like you, you can get tied up and invested in your, this is all I do. I talk about it. I write songs, I play shows, but then you go through something and you're like, maybe you for a second, stop worrying so much about what's going on in your career and, and focus on family and stuff like that. And to really change my perspective, you know, lifestyle wise and because it, it was a regular Monday or a regular Tuesday when, you know, mom came home and told us like it could change tomorrow to be thankful for a lot, man. With music sort of being around the house growing up and having it in the car and stuff. So when you jumped on the drums at seven, was it something that you felt a connection to? Or was it just something to do because your stepdad wanted you to do it? Yeah, I think I was just really excited because my stepdad did it. And I was taking lessons from his original teacher. And so 
I showed up or I, I did a handful of lessons and he was like, Hey, this kid, he's pretty good. I mean, for his age, what he's doing is pretty good. So eventually a couple of lessons went by and I came home and there was a that upstairs, like a brand new drum set. And I remember oh, being wow. so excited and I'm like, this is so cool. So they'd send me home with songs and I put on the earphones, you know, and listen to the songs and play along. I just, just did it for so many years and that transferred into high. So then I was on drum line and I just, I loved every bit of it. You went from the drums and then your dad is actually a guitarist, right? And so he, did he sort of see that musicality within you and think, oh, hey, he's into music. He should also pick up the guitar. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, dad definitely, like he taught me a couple of songs, same three or four songs that he'd play. And then I, I learned them really quick. He was like, hey, you're pretty dang good at that. Would you, you know, be interested in, instead of doing drums, you know, I mean, you could do both, but would you be interested in trying to take some guitar lessons? And I was like, yeah, I guess, you know what I mean? Like if I'm if good at it, we might as well try it. Cause I had the rhythm naturally built in from playing drums. Right. Yeah. So rhythm wise, wasn't a difficult thing for me to learn hardly at all. It was just the chords. So then I started taking, you know, guitar over from there. <laughs> yeah. And so along the way, as you got into the drums and enjoyed that and then get into the guitar and enjoy that, and then you start singing and you start enjoying that. What was the point where it really became a passion and more than just something that you were doing? So in Texas, and it's not everywhere, but in Texas, they have these, these venues called Opry's and these Opry's are super, super cool. And they play every night and you go up and you can try out during the day and you can go up sing a couple of you it's all our songs you know and they send you a list beforehand and anyway you try to learn that song and if you sing good and they think oh it's okay yeah we'll give you a show okay you're going to come play these two songs on november 17th saturday for bladewater opry show that's where i started it was at bladewater and i did and i went up and it was a huge deal like i just remember it being like oh my god has a show and really it was just singing two cover songs i think i sang my first audition i sang in color by me johnson and i think my second song was seminole wind by john anderson so super country songs anyway where it kind of convinced me was when i showed the whole town came and packed the whole place out and then they have a little tip jar at the front so they would come everybody anyway i ended up making like 200 dollars in one that night and so i was in i remember getting in my truck driving home going i just made money doing that you know like i could be on to something so from there on man those opries i'd play the whole opry sir and then created my own band and then it just it just crazy process it's awesome and were you 16 when you hit the opry stage yeah i had to have been 16 yeah because i remember i remember driving myself home that night oh, okay in my Toyota Tacoma by myself. And I called my mom. I was like, mom, I made $200. And I was like, I think this is what I want to do. So we talked about the next day in the kitchen. I said, I don't think go to college and, and do that, which is fine. My parents, they never went to college and they said, look, if you're going to do it, you're going to hit it hard and work hard at it. And I was like, absolutely. If I don't have to go to college. I mean, I've been gone to this day. I'm still supporting myself. So I, I would say that I'm on the right track. <laughs> I saw you talk about your friend getting the keys to the youth group area at the local church and you guys going into jam and Jason Aldean's The Truth being a song yeah. that really connected with you. Now, was that before hitting the Opry stage? That actually, man, 
you're digging deep. You got the good info. Yeah, that's some stuff I'm forgetting about. Yeah, that was, to be honest with you, that was. That was before the Opry days. Man, my buddy Cameron Fulp, his dad was a pastor. And Cameron was a great drummer and great steel guitar player, too. And then my buddy Riley is playing guitar for me now. Uh, we were all buddies. Just grew up in the same town. And he said, hey, let's go up to church in jail. So Cameron drums, Riley playing guitar. So I'll try to sing. I know this Jason Aldean song. We're like, well, let's play it. And I remember like the chorus hitting and I froze. And I was like, holy smokes. I haven't felt that like ever before. And that, that feeling, you know, it went away. And I told mom about it. And then and it just snowballed. That I forgot about that. That was awesome. Right. And now I wanted to ask you about your first guitar. I think it was your first guitar, the one that you bought anyways, the 1951 Epiphone acoustic guitar. You have the neck uh, tattooed on your arm, I believe. There, if you can see it. There it is. Yep. And so I wanted to ask you about that guitar and what it meant to you then when you were able to buy it and what it means to you now. When was that? I want to say I want to say my stepdad took me birthday or something. I can't remember, but I remember walking into this little guitar shop in Hawkins, Texas, where my grandparents are from. And we walked in. I wanted a jumbo body guitar because I'm kind of a tall guy and a small guitar on me just looks kind of funny. So I wanted a bigger body guitar to take up more of that room. And I liked that deeper sound because my voice is naturally just lower. It was up on the shelf right next to one of Elvis's stand-up basses the stand-up bass that he used time on tour his bass player oh wow it was a jumbo body and it looked cool and i was like oh that's cool you know that's before gibson owned them and start telling me all this stuff about it and so i'll bring it down he said you can play it and dude he brought it down i tuned it and it sounded like there was brand new strings on those strings have been on the years i just looked at him i said can i hear this with brand new strings on it they put brand new strings on it and i was like we have to have this guitar and uh it's like it's been all over the world with me the united states i mean it's been from new york city to the beaches of mexico and i retired it off the road just because i was worried something was going to happen to it or somebody's going to steal it or but i still i pick at it out the house and it, it still sounds better than any guitar really i've ever played it's still the best one it's just that old 1950s wood that's had that time to age so like I said, I told my wife never to get rid of it. <laughs> and how cool is that to have a guitar that stays with you? Like even your new guitar now, is it something that you're going to carry with you for the next 10 or 15 years so that when you're playing on stage, you have something that really means something to you? I think so. Yeah, I'm like that. Like I'm very particular about what guitars I get and what I play and what it sounds like. And the one I have now, I mean, I found it for a sweet deal it was a one owner kind of deal i mean i look at guitars like i do cars you know like i'm gonna buy one that's just gonna be the most reliable and the best sound you know best looking best sounding you know and so uh yeah i'll probably keep it for a very very long time right yeah and now along this journey you talk about singing at the church space and then going on to the opry stage and then I saw that you played at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Carthage, and you won fan favorite during that performance. And that was another time where like, oh, wow, I can do this. And so was there a point where it really hit you that this is what I want my career to be? And then did you sort of understand what the steps were going to be to make this happen? 
oh man, now I don't think I knew anything at all. I think all I needed to do was get on a stage in front of people wherever I could and just try to remember everything my vocal coaches told me and my guitar teachers told me and just tried to do my thing, you know, as much as I could. And I don't, I don't really think I knew what I was in for, but I'm thankful, like I said, to cross those certain people in those certain stages and, the, and certain instances in my life where, you know, they all added up to what I'm doing now. Every process, every bit of it, every show I've played, every contest in Carthage or, or radio contest or playing this coffee shop, so-and-so was sitting there and they got me a gig here. And that's why how I met so-and-so. And it's just, it's all, you know, one of my favorite things, of course, I got a long way to go. I'm not near where I want to be yet, but, and a lot of work to go. But I remember there's a documentary about the Eagles and Joe Walsh says, he said, you know, when you're in it, it feels like a bunch of random events just crashing into each other. But when you look back, when you're done, it's a perfectly crafted novel. And that's exactly how I feel about everything that's happened in my life. It's just always been just meet this person, this show, boom, 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 boom. Keep just kind of slowly growing, you know, and that's kind of how I want to stay slow ride, you know, right. all, yeah. all the way up. I don't want to come down fast. You know, I just want to keep riding that roller coaster as long as I can. I don't want to get off yet. You know, <laughs> that's right. And this novel that you're living, do you find that you're able to take it in at the time or is it something that it's always looking back on and realizing, oh, wow, that happened or I did this or this is where I've gotten to in my career? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I think I don't think about it as much as I should, you know, because, you know, there's times on the road where you get down and you get sad, like, man, why didn't we play for more people or, you know, what's the deal? What's going on? Like, what do I need to do different? And then you got to realize, man, five years ago, you wouldn't even be thinking about what you're doing right now. You know, like you, you'd be, you'd be praying for what you're doing right now. You know, you always want more. And I think, I don't think that'll ever stop for me. I always want to get to a bigger stage. I'll always want to get to selling out shows. And then I want to go to the amphitheaters and the stadiums and then whatever comes after that. Like, it's just, you always want more. And I don't think I'll ever feel like I've made it, you know, until something just ridiculous happens. And then you got to continue to work after that because, what I've learned is you cannot let up in the music business. You can't, you cannot take your foot off the gas because somebody will come, my stepdad says somebody come right behind you and stomp you right in the mud and not think twice about it. So it's a dog eat dog game, but I love it. You know? Yeah. Is it a dangerous game though? Cause like you say, like, when do you know you've made it? When are you happy with where you are in your career? Do you think there's ever a time where that happens? I th you know, I think there will be went once I get there, but I think everybody also judges their own amount of success on their own scale. Like to me being successful in the music business, you know, would be making X amount of dollars a year and having a nice house and a big patch of land and a farm that my family can hunt on, raise kids on, you know? So that's my thing. Whereas others might be, you know, selling out Madison square garden three nights in a row, which obviously that's a goal of mine too. But, you know, and some people, some people never get satisfied, which is kind of tough too. some of the rock stars, you know, you, they go through a lot of problems, you know, because they got it all in the world, but they never secured like a certain happiness. And I don't want that, you know, but that's why I try to set realistic goals at a time. You know, when I hit this one, well, now we're going to go hit that one, you know, and when it gets to the point, 
you know, if, whether it's age or time period or whatever, where you can't hit anymore, then there's nothing you can do but look back and be thankful, you know, and this is what you get. You, you got to do this basically your whole life, you know, that's what right. I'm looking forward to. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about stuff more in a simple manner, I guess, than a lot of people, but there's still that drive in me. So, and I wanted to ask about your debut album, I guess it was Guitar Playing Outlaw. And when you look back on that music now, sort of what that experience was like and how you feel about that music now that you're a few years removed from it. Yeah, it's been a while since that one. Man, I was so green. To be honest with you, probably had no business putting out any kind of project like that. But it wasn't a bad project. It, I was You could just tell when you hear it. I don't even think you can get that. I think I got like a thousand CDs of it, though, in my garage somewhere. But, you know, that was just that was early, early learning how to sing, do things right in the studio. And, but I'm glad I did it too. I learned how that studio experience goes, you know, whether, whether or not I think the music's good on it or not, I'm not going to sit here and say, I didn't learn something from it, you know? And there were people that liked those songs, of course, the local people there, obviously I would never let those out to the public now, but the people that have been there a long time, they know that that was, I got people that still say they like songs off of it. Right. Well, and that's the interesting thing because gone in 2018 was your debut single as an artist. What you considered as your debut single. And then you had the EP and that was all music that you had written yourself, that you had crafted yourself. And then in 2020, you had your album bombs away, which Mm -hmm. was, they were cuts from other writers, except for one song on that album. So as you go along, you're always going to be most proud of the music that you've created in the moment, right? And so what is the journey like with that music as you go through and create new stuff? Do you always have to look back fondly on the music that you've already created? For sure. I mean, every time I go in the studio and make a new record or, or, or write a new song, I always look at how much better it is than you know the first thing I put out. Like That's the whole goal, right, is to every project you release has got to be better than the last one. It's got to have better songs or you're never going to grow. People aren't going to latch onto it. So I've worked a lot, you know, that bombs away record. That was at a time where like, I just needed a prod. I needed a project out and I needed a good batch of good songs to get me going. You know, I'd kind of hit a little lull there and that was due to, you know, like we talked about earlier, some family stuff going on with brothers having cancer and stepdad. I'm not blaming it on that at all. It was just, a time where I focused on stuff differently and I really wasn't pushing to get a record out, which, you know, I probably should have, but it just didn't feel like the right time. So, you know, I needed a batch of songs and, and that's when I started really getting introduced to the Nashville thing and how it works and people cut other songs and it's okay to do that. And now this new record I got coming out, I was a co-writer on almost half of all of them. So I'm getting back that confidence of actually being a writer and being a part of the, more part of the creation of it so that's exciting right and what has that transition been like to more of the nashville scene because i i've heard you talk about it before and i've talked to parker mccollum about that transition and it's not an easy thing to do like not a lot of artists do it and so is it something that it is a difficult transition or is it just the fact that maybe not many texas artists actually try to make the transition man i think it's both and going back you know 
to what you said, Parker McCollum's a guy that I look up to a lot. I mean, when he was in the Texas scene, I got to open some shows for him and, and um, we get a chance to talk every, every once in a blue moon. And I always admired how hard he worked, um, how he's gotten to the point that he's gotten. I mean, he started out, you know, you know, you talked to him, like he started out in Texas, just kind of like I did, you know? And, yeah. and he started, you know, he went and made his own records and wrote his own songs and built his own fan bases and got to the point where, you know, he kind of had the ball in his court to take it to another level. And when he did now look at what he's doing. I mean, it's, it's truly inspiring because on the second part of what you said, he's a guy from Texas and he's making it happen nationally. And I think you're right. I think maybe some, Guys just don't, you know, they want to play Texas and they want to be in the red dirt scene. That's fine. I mean, there's those guys out there, they make a lot of money and make a really good living and have beautiful families and and they're always going to do that. And I just think for me, I kind of wanted to do, you know, what Parker was doing and what Pat Green did back in the day and Granger Smith. Like I just kind of wanted to try. I'm still I'm in the process of trying to expand and maybe hopefully, you know, Lord willing, I can get that that national notoriety and just make it, make it even bigger. You know, I got a long way to go. Still got to, still got to build a fan base and still got to play in Texas. I'm not talking about leaving Texas because these people are so loyal. Like you do that, you're just going to piss everybody off. <laughs> right. <yeah. You> know? <laughs> so I'm going to still continue to build in Texas, but I'm really going to work on, you know, trying to expand nationally. And, and, and like I said, follow in the footsteps of those guys because they, they set the tone and if they can do it. And I think, you know, Anybody who puts a mind to it, I think you can too. And what was the transition like to co-writing? Because you have written basically by yourself in the past, and that's sort of the way it's done within the Texas scene. So when you moved over to more of the co-writing in Nashville, what was that transition like for you? Man, it was nerve-wracking at first because I, you know, I didn't want to say anything that was dumb, you know, or like these guys have been doing this their whole lives. They do it every single day, sometimes three times a day. So these guys are professional songwriters and I'm this kid from Texas who's trying to be a star, you know? And so I'm like, look, you need to go in with a level head and just listen. You know, I'm a listener. If I'm in a room, I'll, I'll sit back. I won't say much. Usually I'll watch and wait for my time to speak kind of thing. And, and, uh, so it was nerve wracking at first, but then I got into these rooms that I had a lot in common with these people. These guys are from a small town like me. Okay. They like to hunt fish. They're from Georgia. Well, I'm from Texas and, and I think just running into good people and having so much in common, then we could write about anything. And it was like, oh, cool. I click with these guys. Let's write a song, you know, and it got, then you come out of the room and you're like, wow, we got a good song today. Okay. This is pretty dang cool. This is how this works. You know, I've never considered myself a great songwriter by myself. So, you know, they always say two heads are better than one. And, especially when you get in a room with three writers, help some guys even get in there with four writers. And some people, I think when you realize that sometimes other people, you can accept that other people have better ideas or, or good ideas. In my opinion, the best song wins. So I always like to be a part of, you know, going off of what they had to say in the room, you know, and, and that took a while for me to get that way. I always thought oh, I'm the songwriter. and I let go of that and I started getting better songs. So Right. It's a, it's a fun process. I love it. And how does it change in the recording process? Because obviously if you write a song, you're very attached to that song and you can 
easily put emotion behind it. But when you moved into more of the cut world and recording other people's songs, was it different in the studio and having to maybe dig a little deeper to bring out that emotion within the song? Absolutely. 100%. Like if I was going to go in the studio and cut an outside song, I would have really had to like that song the very first time I heard it. There was never, you know, an iffy, eh, I don't know if we should or not. Like I, if I liked it and it was me 100% and it explained who I was, I was only, and I could find the emotion and have to go over the lyrics. I'd learn these songs sometimes months at a time before I even stepped in the studio to make sure that I'm going to sell this the right way, especially if I'm not writing it, you know, and it's, you know, you're doing something right when people don't know the difference, whether you wrote it or not, you know, it's like, they just, they love it. And people don't, I don't think they really care, you know, a lot, you know, they don't look too deep. Some people do like, Oh, you know, he cut an outside song or he didn't write it. Yeah. A lot of people don't care anymore. They're just like, you know, look at George Strait. You know, yeah. I think he might have written one of his 60 number ones and, and and Darth Brooks and everybody, Cody Johnson. You know, he writes a lot of his stuff, but he also cuts a lot of stuff, you know, and I think it's becoming more accepted as the days get older, which is good. Because when you're not. When you don't consider yourself a fantastic songwriter, well, it's cool because you can go in the room with people that are and they'll make you a better songwriter. So it's a fun game. Since I've never really gotten to talk to it, I talk about it like that too. So that's pretty neat. <laughs> that's awesome. And one person we have to talk about is Cole Wetzel. Now, your relationship with him, you are very tight and you've been with him basically ever since the beginning before he blew up. And so what has that relationship been like and how important has it been for you in your growth as an artist? Oh, man. Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. I, there's so many great things I have to say about Co because I tell people all the time. I mean, if I hadn't have met, if I hadn't have met Co and we hadn't have done a couple of shows early on, like you said in his career, um, I probably wouldn't have a social media following. You know, I wouldn't have got to play more than half of the places that I've gotten to tour all over the United States with him. Um, like we started two little acoustic shows right here in East Texas and we were playing for a hundred bucks a piece. I tell the story all the time, you know, and, and uh, we packed out these little rooms and that was actually when he had dropped his first record and it was blowing up. So Co had all the pool and it was nice because I could get up there, you know, and everybody knew who Co was and maybe some people knew who I was, but definitely the majority of them were not there for me at all. Right. But I, it was cool because I was associated anyway. He, I think he just saw that I was serious about it, you know, and, and I wanted to do it like he was doing. And I, I don't know, we just, we just kind of became friends over it really. And, and he would always ask me to open shows him or, or his, his tour manager, Dre. And uh, Dre was playing drums for him back then, but man, I could sit here and talk for eight hours about all of the, just the awesome things that those guys have done for me specifically. I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever be able to repay them. To be honest, they, uh, they took me all over. We played so many shows, so many, so many late nights and fun times. That right there is the funnest crew I think I've ever hands down been on the road with. And then fast forward and Dre and Co are in my wedding along. I meet Casey Donahue in this mix and now they all become friends. And it's a, I have a, I have a lot. I owe them a lot, man. I'm just really thankful to have my relationship with Co and, and all those guys. Right. And now along this journey, I wanted to ask you about Cavenders. 
It's a store in Texas that you would go to growing up to get all your sort of back to school stuff. And recently your merch has been within the store. Now those full circle moments, what do those mean for you along this journey? Oh yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Walking into Cavenders and seeing your merch on their rack, you know, it's funny. I always thought to me, it's like, man, ain't nobody going to come in here and buy this shirt. Don't even know who this is. You know what I mean? But like, I just remember like going into Cavenders and checking out all the Texas country shirts they had. I'm like, Oh, Kevin Fowler, and you know, cross Canadian ragweed. And there's Randy Rogers shirt. I got to have that one. And it was cool. And then you saw them in Bucky's and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it was a full circle moment. It, it was pretty cool. And believe it or not, I think we sold a few here and there, you know, I don't think it was a huge, huge win, but regardless, it looked cool, you know, and it was nice to walk into that store and say, Hey, that's me, you know? <laughs> and Randy Rogers, he, took you on under his management team. Now, what did that mean? Not only getting a manager, but to have it be someone that is so ingrained in the Texas music scene. And I mean, probably one of your heroes to have him approach you to do that. Oh man, absolutely. I remember I was on the road and I was super down, um, you know, just about what I was doing, you know, musicians always have these insecurities in their head. Oh my God, what am I doing? This is ever going to work, you know? And, I was filling up my van and I got a text message from a random number. It said, Hey, Chris, this is Randy Rogers here. I'd like to talk to you about management. And I was like, what? You know what I mean? Like this ain't real. So I called my mom, you know, I was like, Hey mom, I just got this message. So, well, answer it, you know, whether it's fake or not, like just see if it's a real deal. Sure enough. He called me and, and that's another reason I have to shout out Parker, man. Uh, Randy said that he was asking Parker who he thought, you know, would be another person to take on because Parker was getting so big at the time he needed to go to a bigger, even bigger management and have them take over for his success. And right. And uh, Parker, you know, threw my name in the hat and I'll forever be grateful for that. We were with Randy for a while and then um, we went on to other management in Nashville, trying to do the Nashville thing. And Randy kind of got out of the management game focusing on albums and touring and as he should, he's a legend, but I learned so much from that man. I mean, he's a Texas legend and yeah. the guy has a set list full of just bangers. Like there's not a one bad song on Randy Rogers set and his band's great. And, uh, got to travel all over with him being, you know, him being manager and open these shows for Randy Rogers. That's just something that you dream about in Texas as a musician, you know, and I'll forever be thankful. He always had a, Randy always had a saying he told Parker and told me and it was, and it was, uh, be great and be gone you know, go be great, be gone, go do your thing, you know, and, and keep, and keep moving forward. And I'll, I'll never, never forget that. I get to see him uh, every once in a while. I got to see him at a Texas Rangers game of the day and we got to talk a little bit with his wife, Chelsea, and just a great people. I have nothing but great things to say about all of those guys I run across because they don't, like I said, they don't even have to be nice. Right. Yeah. But, but they all are and they're all influential and they all want to see you succeed because they've been there. They've done it, you know, yeah. So and now your family, your stepdad, your dad, your mom, you talked about them saying you don't have to go to college, you don't have to go to university, you can chase this music career, we'll be behind you. How important has their support been throughout this journey and continue to be as you move forward? Oh man, just having those having supportive parents is huge. Like there's not a lot of people that have that at all. And my mom and my stepdad have been all in 100% since day one, never asked any questions. My mom has said, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I have that feeling and you shouldn't be doing anything else. 
And having that, not a lot of people have that. And I'm just super thankful to have them for sure. And now moving into your new album, Boy Like Me, July 29th, I believe is the release date. Take us through the creation of this album. You mentioned about how half the album you're a co-writer on. So are these songs that were developed over the last little bit? Oh yeah, for sure. This has been a project that's been in the works for probably, oh, 18 months or so. And yeah, man, there were some songs, you know, I, like I said earlier, I found my niche of writers that I really like to write with. And we wrote some good ones that are on, on the record together. And then some of them are from those writers that I've cut songs before I've built relationships with them. They just sent me a song that's just better than the one I wrote. So I'm like, God, I have to cut that, man. Like I have to put that on the record. So I think on this record, there's nine songs total I co-wrote. I was a writer on four of them and the other ones were outside cuts that I just love so much. And I think my, I think my next project is going to be, I'm going to try to be a writer on everything. But like I said, it's just a slow process for me and growing as a writer. And, but man, this record is definitely quality wise. It's, it's the best one I've done. Uh, song wise, hands down, in my opinion, it's the best one I've done. Um, I really focused on my voice too on this record. I'm really, really proud of it. There's some songs, some serious songs. There's some party songs. There's some breakup songs. There's a little bit of everything on it. There's a song about my little girl on there, Boy Like Me. That's that's about my little girl that just came. And there's a lot of Chris Colston, like who I am as a person on it. And that's, I feel like that's all you can do, man, is just put out a record that's you 100% and, and hope it sticks, you know. And I'll be happy with it at the end of the day because I know it's me, regardless of what happens. And that's, I think, finding that happiness in it, too, is a, is a huge deal. Absolutely. And the journey with your music, I think I saw you mention that you've had these songs in your truck speakers for the past like year, year and a half. And so, and there's still a couple of months until it's released. So what is that journey like with your music of having it for so long before the album is released? Do you really have to keep the mindset of being excited for the music after it's released and not right away looking to the next music because you've been living with this music for so long? Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's like I've heard them a million times by now. So you you kind of get worn out from them for a little bit, but then you're like, when you release it and hopefully, you know, a couple will start hitting or the whole record hits, you know, and it's doing really well. That's when I get excited. But that's also kind of what you said. It's like, okay, now that this is doing well, Let's get back in the studio. Let's get back to writing and let's go ahead and follow this up. And I think staying ahead is the key, you know, and just continuing to have the material ready to rock because once the, so while this is hitting is while you're growing your shows and it's all, Oh, now people are really starting to figure you out. And then once it hits and then bam, you put out something else and that just adds on to it. And it just, eventually you snowball enough where you just take off down the hill, you know, and that's, that's the goal. But yes, it is hard. It is hard to uh, sometimes to stay excited about the songs that you that you've listened to for the past year and you, you know, you're just now getting to put them out. But you have to remember too, a year from now, people are going to hear those songs for the first time. Oh my God, I heard this guy. This came across my playlist, you know, and it's like, oh my God, a song came out forever ago, you know, but that's just part of it. You know, it's exciting. It's exciting for sure. That's awesome. And tell me about your wife. She is a musical person as well. I think she sings just as well as you do. Uh, she went to Berkeley College of Music 
and graduated from there. And so what has it been like to have her along this journey with you? Man, first off, she sings way better than I do. Like it's not even close. She has the natural ability. I I had to work at it a little bit, but man, it's been awesome. Uh, Peyton and I met uh, back when she she had a choir scholarship um, at a little junior college here in Tyler, and we met at a country bar. We used to country dance on Thursday nights and uh, Thursday nights for college night. And I go up there. She walked in. You know, it was, was kind of like a fairy tale story. To be honest with you, you know, I hate to sound so cheesy, but she walked in, I asked her to dance and she started, we started talking while we were dancing and said she was a music major. And I was like, all right, I'm in for sure. You know, and starts telling me and I think she sang a little bit while we were dancing or something. I was like, Oh my God, she can actually sing. She's not just saying that. And it's been amazing, man. She's so supportive. Uh, we've been through a lot of ups and downs together with me being in the music business. She's never wavered. She's never asked me to get another job. She's never asked me to do something else. She's been front row at the shows with a beer in her hand singing. Uh, she's been nothing but supportive because I think she comes from a music background and she gets it. She knows how hard it is. And man, she's a superhero because when I'm gone for a week or two weeks at a time, she's back home by herself. Now it's even harder too because we got a little one and, but we make it work. We've always made it work and she's always supported me. And, um, that's really rare nowadays to find somebody like that. So yeah. I'm thankful for her for sure. She's the best. <laughs> That's awesome. And one last thing, just along this journey, 2018 was sort of the moment you hit, like I say, gone was sort of considered, considered your debut single. Now we lost a couple of years within that. And so just within the couple of years that you've actually had a chance to be out there sharing your music, how proud are you of how far you've been able to come? Man, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, I think, I, I don't think I'll, like I said earlier, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with how far I've come. You know, I mean, I will be happy like, oh my God, you did that years ago. But I'm all, like I said, I'm always searching for more. You know, I'm always like, okay, we're here now. And this is a lot better than last year, but where can we be? by Christmas next year, you know, and where can we be? I, th I don't think that strive to be better ever quits, but I also am proud of where we've been. And, and, you know, from, I mean, even just from 2018, that's when we very first started touring and opening for all these Texas guys and, and going out of state every now and then and building my relationships with Co and Casey and, and, uh, and doing a few shows here and there with Parker and, and, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a crazy ride for sure, but I think we got a long a long way to go, but I'm excited about that cuz that just means that we're growing. So, I think as long as we continue to grow and we don't dip down, we'll be just fine. <laughs> Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Chris for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his latest album that is out now, Bombs Away, and keep an eye out for his new album, Boy Like Me, at the end of July. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me, give us a follow, and maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you once again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music